Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Hello, I am Pastor Steve, and we are so glad that you have joined us uh, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, when, whenever you are listening to this podcast. I'm joined here uh, this morning from uh, from church here with Pastor Brandon. Hey there. And then we also have Pastor Tim. Hi. Uh, who is our Associate Pastor of Missions and People Care. And uh, he has been with us here at church for how many years now? I am starting my 16th year. And we are so thankful for you to be our our first episode here uh, <laughs> on the the Grace Church podcast. This is our, our our Sunday school for fall of 2020, as it's a unique season. But we are thankful that you have agreed uh, to take this first session. We're going to be listening to some of your notes on uh, the Book of Jonah. So thanks, Pastor Tim, for joining us and hmm. and taking the time to uh, share from. Uh, this book. Happy so. to do that. Glad to be here with you guys, and hello to everybody who's listening. What I want to do is uh, Jonah in 15 minutes. Now, if you read through Jonah, you realize that's quite a task, but I want to condense it in. We're going to look just at a few things, and basically I'm going to just ask one question and try to answer that today. But uh, when you think of the Jonah, what I don't know how you've heard him described. Some people call him the runaway prophet, God gave him a task to do, and he runs the other way. He doesn't want to do it. You might call him the sound sleeper. I mean, good grief. Who can be sound asleep in the bottom of a boat that's being tossed around by a raging ocean? I kind of like the name the creative cruiser. You know, most people take a cruise on the surface. You know, those are the cruise ships on the Mediterranean. He takes a cruise under the water in a, in a, in a whale through the Mediterranean, but probably the name that most comes to mind is the reluctant missionary, the reluctant mission. I still remember the story when I was in seventh grade, VBS. And I was a little bit put off that in seventh grade I had to go to vacation Bible school, but it was four nights in a row, long time ago, and uh, the lady who ran it uh, led us through this book of Jonah, and I still remember it, and I think it's a fascinating book. So what I want to do is just basically ask the question, why does Jonah run away? Why does he run away from the task that God gives him? Let's look at the first uh, couple verses of the book to, to set us up. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the one question I'm going to ask is, why does Jonah run away? Why does he flee? And I think there's four things that we can look at uh, 
in this, four theological problems. I would say they're problems in Jonah's theology that he didn't really understand who God was. And then this was demonstrated in what I'll call character flaws, four problems of understanding and four character flaws. That's where I want to go, so let's look at it quickly first. The first one, why did he flee? He wanted the Assyrians to be destroyed. He wanted the city of Nineveh to be judged by God and destroyed. Why? Because of who they were. They were the enemy. Isn't that kind of natural for us when we think of the enemy? We don't want them to prosper. We don't want them to bless. They're the enemy. Good night. We want them, we want them to, to be destroyed. And they were, in fact, a cruel and vicious people. History records the Assyrians as brutally killing their opponents. They would utterly destroy the land that they conquered. They would burn down cities and sometimes not really look very carefully whether anybody was still in the city or not. They were a cruel, vicious people. And we know from history that they had already caused havoc for Israel. In the 9th, the 8th, the 7th centuries BC, remember we, you count backwards in, in before Christ, the Assyrians were already a, raise, a, a power on the rise and they had repeatedly attacked nations and people around, including Israel. You can see this in Kings and Chronicles, Shalmaneser III. He had besieged Israel and had forced King Jehu to pay him tribute. And Tiglath-Pileser III, he was one of the strong Assyrian kings. He had dominated Ahaz, the king of Judah, and Ahaz had literally become just a vassal to, to pay tribute. So the Assyrians had caused great problems for Israel in the past. And they were actually an existential threat to Israel. Now, if that's a big word, I still remember when the coronavirus started, a couple of the radio people said, well, tell me now to the experts, is this an existential threat to us? Meaning, are we going to get wiped out? Like if a, if a meteorite the size of the moon would come crashing into the earth, that would be an existential threat. We don't know if we would be able to exist past that. But basically... They're asking, does this threaten our existence? And I can just hear Jonah saying, man, I don't want to go preach against it because I'm a prophet. And when I prophesy, things come true. I want to say something's going to happen and it will, or if something isn't changed, it won't. And I don't want to be successful in this case. I don't want to preach against them and succeed and have them repent because they're our enemy. I want God to destroy them. To me, this shows us a character flaw, which I will call judgmentalism. I think Jonah was usurping God's place, prerogative. God is the one who decides who's to be judged and who's not. He simply saw this in human terms. This is the enemy. This is an evil empire. They have hurt us before, and the future uh, is full of the possibility of them hurting Israel again. So he just really wanted them to be destroyed. Secondly, I think... We see in the book that Jonah really would rather have died than be the one to bring repentance, to bring salvation, to bring new life to the enemy. He would rather be dead than do this, than, to, than have this happen. So uh, in chapter 1, verse 7, we see this when the storm is raging and the sailors say to each other, chapter 1, 7, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And of course, they fall on Jonah. So they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? I'm, yeah, who is responsible? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? 
from what people are you see they're trying to identify his origin because they understand at that time that each people in each land has a god and it must be his god that's causing this and he answered i'm a hebrew i worship the lord the god of heaven who made the sea and the land and then the scripture says this terrified them and they ask what have you done they knew he was running away from the lord because he had already told them this and the sea was getting rougher and, and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And then verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, it will calm down. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, this sounds really noble, doesn't it, at first? He's admitting responsibility. He's saying, I'm the one. Throw me overboard. If I die, things will get better. You know, really isn't very noble. It's actually quite selfish because he wanted to die. He expected and I think welcomed death in the sea because he knew that God was compassionate and loving and he figured that if he went and did what God had told him to do, to preach against the city of Nineveh, that God would spare them if they repented. In fact, he even says this then in chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. After he goes, he preaches. Lo and behold, the king repents. The people put on sackcloth and he declares mourning and he says, maybe God will give us compassion yet. And in fact, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And now in verse 1 of chapter 4, we really see where Jonah stands. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Death was the way out of his predicament. By being thrown into the sea and dying, or dying at that moment after he saw that God was going to relent, it would avoid, this death at sea would have avoided the assignment that was so distasteful in his eyes. And it would avoid his possible murder when he returned to Israel. Just think about this. Can you imagine going back to Israel after this and giving his quarterly report to the king of Jerusalem? Oh, king, may you live forever. It's been a good quarter. Remember the drought? I prayed and said it would rain, and sure enough, October 21st, it rained, and the crops grew, and the cattle were fattened. And yes, I talked to the husbands of Israel. They'd been mistreating their wives, spending too much time with football and fishing, and I drew their hearts back to loving their wives, and marriages in Israel are doing much better because of my ministry. And no, oh, I had a great evangelism campaign in Syria. They repented, and they turned. They, God has blessed them. They're flourishing, and they'll be around for another 100 years. Imagine that report to the king. On top of this, other prophets had already prophesied about the role that the Ninevites would have. Amos and Hosea were contemporaries of Jonah. Amos had warned that God would send Israel into exile beyond Damascus. And Hosea had specifically mentioned their captor as Assyria. In chapter 11, will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? And so Jonah, knowing this, would rather have died twice, once at sea, once sitting out watching 
the city of Nineveh not be destroyed and fulfill the mission God had given to them. And I, I would say this is a character flaw that we might call being uncharitable, unloving. He really did not have the love of God for these people, and it was so unchristlike. Jesus loved people, and at least he went to die to save. But Jonah would rather die than be involved in, in the mission of, of bringing God's mercy. So Jonah, his problems, he wanted the Assyrians to die. He would, ra- he would rather die than be the one to bring the message of life to them. And then third, I see in this story Jonah has less compassion for the heathen than the heathen. He had less compassion for the life of the lost than the heathen did for him. Chapter 1 again, verse 13. When the storm is going, Jonah says, It's my fault. What should you do? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, And it will become calm. I know it's my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. What did they do? Verse 13. Instead. No, they didn't want to do that. The men did their best to row back to land. They wanted to save Jonah and themselves. They wanted to get out of the storm, get back to the land. Maybe they were convinced that the prophet of God, this God who was, who was bringing havoc on them, he was not to be trifled with. They didn't want to do it, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder. Then they cried out to the Lord. They addressed this new God that they had come to learn about. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then, after they asked for this forgiveness and admitted this is something they did not want to do, they took Jonah and threw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The sailors, by trying to spare Jonah's life, I think they demonstrated more humanity and compassion and fear of God than the man of God himself. They gave up their cargo. They threw it overboard to try to save him and themselves. They prayed to this God for help. They asked for forgiveness for the murder they they knew they were doing when they finally agreed they had to do what Jonah said because it was the only solution. And confronted by the Lord God of heaven and earth, they responded well. They responded with action. They responded with the desire to please in a way that Jonah had failed to do. Character flaw, lacking, compassion. He had no compassion for the city of Nineveh, no compassion for the people of the Syrian people. These heathens had more compassion than he did. And then finally, and perhaps this is the crux of the story and one of the most important points I think we can draw, I think that Jonah had not internalized the principle of mercy if he truly had understood what mercy was and what he had received as one of the children of Abraham, what he had received as being part of the people of God, he might have looked at it differently. He forgot. He forgot an important thing. He did not want for the Ninevites the very mercy and forgiveness that he had just experienced. What does he do in the fish? The fish comes along. God provides a great fish to swallow him. He's inside of the fish three days and three nights. Lo and behold, he's not dead. He didn't die. 
He doesn't get to avoid this assignment by death. And in the belly of the fish, he has a change of heart and he prays and his prayer is revealing. Chapter 2, ter, 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to me. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you. He had just experienced calling out for salvation, calling out for life and health, asking God to spare him, and God did that, brought him out from the pit when his life was in danger. But now, notice Jonah's response to the enemy's repentance and change of heart. And maybe we could read that. Well, what did the king actually say? Do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Maybe God will relent. They are doing exactly what Jonah did in the pit of the whale. But now when that happens, what is his response? Chapter 4, verse 5, he's sitting there watching to see what would happen. Verse 5 of chapter 4, Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. The Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God sent a worm chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. He said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God said, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about this vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it. You did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight died overnight. But Nineveh, that's more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about the great city? It's such a great example of the contrast between God's heart and Jonah's heart. It's what he feared. God would relent. God would bring mercy to the enemy he would not bring destruction to this nation that threatened Israel. So now he preferred to die for the second time. <laughs> and uh, he, would, of course, would avoid returning back to the king to, to give the news, whether that's good news or bad news. <clears throat> depends on your perspective. What strikes me in this as we close here is what way, in what way was Jonah really any different than the Ninevites? The Ninevites conquered people and destroyed and killed he wanted them to be destroyed too. He wanted them to die as well. He was angry when God didn't do it. In what way was Jonah any different than the people that he had already judged as being deserving of God's judgment in God's death? Jonah, he lacked mercy. His mercy well was all dried up. His character flaws that he could not understand that the mercy he received would God not also want to extend that to others? So the story of Jonah, it's all about God's love and concern for a great city full of wicked people, and he uses Jonah in spite of his very small heart 
Jonah chose direct, clear disobedience to God than rather than go to this 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from their left. This is a figurative expression for their utter ignorance of God and his laws and the fact that they could have relationship with him. But in the end, God displays his gracious and merciful love to this wicked people, and he uses a reluctant missionary to do so. And I just challenge those who listen to ask this question of themselves, where might I be judgmental of others? Where might I be usurping God's prerogative to judge others for who they are and what they're done? In what ways am I lacking charity and love and compassion for people around me? And am I truly demonstrating and wishing for mercy for others in a way that I have received mercy, that I have experienced. This lesson from Jonah, I think, is so applicable to us. We have people around us that we see as other than us. We have countries and nations and division in our country where we can see them as the enemy, the ones deserving God's attention. Where can we practice compassion and love and mercy towards others uh, as as Jonah needed to learn in the story. That's the challenge that I want to leave with you as you listen today. Thanks so much, Tim. The Grace Church Podcast is a product of Grace Church in Morton, Illinois. For more information about Grace Church, please visit us online at gracemorton.org. Thanks for tuning in. A quick reminder to be on the lookout for the question and response episode tomorrow where Pastor Steve and I have the opportunity to ask Pastor Tim some more questions about Jonah. May the grace and peace of Christ be with you today.